Welcome to episode 13 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So um, the next, this episode, the next few episodes are going to deal with some basics of writing. So far, we've only been talking about other kinds of communication, mostly interpersonal communication, small group communication. Um, but all of us write, and uh, professionally writing happens to be an extraordinarily important skill, and my uh, my approach to writing is uh, based in the same sort of set of assumptions that the approach to interpersonal communication and small group communication are based in and emerges from the same perspective. Um, but uh, how we practice writing looks pretty different than how we practice interpersonal communication or small group communication. For example, uh, well, let me start by saying, but the main reason for that is that Writing is a disembodied form of communication, or it's a communication through absence. So the voice of the person, the body of the person, is generally not present when the, the written word, the thing that they've written, is being read by or interpreted by some other. So um, writing is disembodied or, or communication through absence. And that changes the kinds of dynamics in a certain way. But it doesn't change the fact that writing is still about producing an effect on an audience. In the very first episode, I said my conception of communication is, a, is that it's a process of producing effects, not a process of transmitting information. So the written word produces effects on an audience just as much as, a, as an interpersonal communicative act does. Um, and here's some, a really simple, simple insight into this. Um, so I teach a writing class at university. Uh, I've taught it, uh, writing for at least 15 years now. Um, students always, like nearly every paper I read, is full of grammatical errors. And students don't seem to understand, A, the rules of grammar, but they don't seem to understand the consequences of, of bad grammatical choices. But one of the things I often tell them in the course of the class is that um, Knowing the rules of grammar matters because grammar is one way of managing the effects that you produce on an audience. And if you don't know how, for example, to use a comma and you use a comma incorrectly, that incorrect use produces a range of different effects on the reading audience. One of the principal effects is that you appear to be uneducated or unintelligent. You don't know what it is you're doing if you're using a comma in some sort of crazy fashion. Um, but there's a more delicate and more uh, significant effect in that the comma does uh, control the structural relationships of a sentence and can al alter the kinds of effects that the sentence has on a reading audience. We'll get to there kind of later at a, at a different point in the podcast that we have a whole episode. I'm going to have a whole episode devoted to the comma uh, because it's the most un misunderstood mark in the English language. Uh, but before we even get there, I, I just want to talk in this episode generally about some general issues to be concerned with um, when you're sitting down to write anything. So uh, another thing to note is that when you teach writing, um, and like I said, I've taught writing for a long time, usually you teach writing as a matter of genre that, you know, some, so a business letter 
is different than a novel, is different than a short story, is different than a technical report, is different than um, a book report, is different than an academic essay, all these sorts of things. And it's true, you know, genre matters. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're writing for a different function, or if you're writing an email versus a handwritten letter versus a text message, uh, all those things are different and they're different genres of written communication. Uh, in this podcast, I'm not gonna talk about different genres. I don't care. Um, I'm gonna try and talk about the things that underlie all the different genres. I'm gonna try and give you some um, communication practices, some written communication practices that ought to help regardless of the particular genre of writing that you're doing. So you could be writing a love letter or a business letter or you know a job, um, um, a letter to a job application letter. It doesn't matter. The things that I'm gonna tell you are all uh, apply to all of those different genres. You could be writing a short story and th these things will will still apply. And like I said, they emerge from the perspective on communication that I laid out in the first, in the, the very first episode of our podcast. So they come from that place. Okay, so um, let's talk generally for a few minutes about effective writing. And then I wanna talk about the three questions that every piece of writing has to answer and the two values that every piece of writing has to um, has to kind of be driven by. Um, all right, effective writing is, um, um, well, to write effectively means to control the effect produced on the reading audience in the same way that interpersonal communication is a matter of controlling the effects that you produce on your partner. It's the same. So oftentimes when we think about writing, we think, it, just like the transmission model tells us, that an effective piece of writing conveys the correct information to the correct audience. And like I said in the first episode, I'm trying to change our perspective on that. I'm trying to say you need to stop doing that. Um, so effective writing then is a matter of managing the kinds of effects produced on the reading audience. Okay, so that you're managing the kinds of effects produced on the reading audience. So there's no difference between the goal, uh, that as a primary goal of written communication, as uh, as, there, as the primary goal of interpersonal communication or of uh, small group communication. The difference, of course, is that controlling the effect you produce on the written audience requires a very, very, very different set of skills in writing than it does in interpersonal communication. You, you can't do the same things in writing that you can do in interpersonal communication to, to, to control or manage the effect that you produce on an audience. Um, okay, so we begin here, um, we begin by uh, sort of asking ourselves whenever we write three basic questions. And these three basic questions ought to guide everything, like I said, from the love letter to the business letter to the, the short story to, uh, the technical report, doesn't matter. Uh, here are the three questions every piece of writing needs to ask. One, what's my claim? Two, what effect have I had? Three, who cares? I wanna talk about each of these three questions. Uh, my students in my classes, and I guess there are kind of a boatload of English high school teachers everywhere in North America that teach their students that they should be writing a thesis statement. This is nonsense. I hate the word thesis. I don't think writing involves theses at all. Um, in fact, I d dislike the fact that they call, a, we call a master's thesis or a PhD thesis. These are 
not good words for me. For me, the word thesis derives from hypothesis, which is a kind of scientific word. It suggests that there's some idea out there that you're testing the validity of. Wrong, bad. The first thing I tell my students is chuck the idea of a thesis. A thesis won't help you in writing. Forget it. You don't have to have a thesis. You do have to have a claim, and a claim is different than a thesis. A claim is an invitation to a response. Let me say that again because it's incredibly important. A claim is an invitation to a response. It's the core thing that you're asking your audience to respond to. And in writing, you're either you're usually asking them to either believe or to act on or to, to take up um, or respond in these substantive ways to one kind of signature central um, key idea. Uh, I use the word claim because it immediately highlights the extent to which the writing process is dialogic through and through. In other words, written communication is just like interpersonal communication. There's a speaker and an audience or a writer and an audience and the interaction, the relationship between the writer and the audience is really what's matter, what matters. And when we talk about communication as effects, we're talking about relationality. We're talking about the kinds of relationships that are built between speakers or writers and audiences. Hypo- the word hypothesis doesn't help with that. It doesn't get at that at all. A claim is an invitation to a response. Every piece of writing has a claim. You need to know what it is. If you sit down to, to write an academic essay, a history essay about something, that history essay has to have a claim. And the claim is an invitation to a response. You want the audience to agree, to disagree, to do something, to not do something um, in response to the claim that you're advancing on them. So many, 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 many times, and if you're a university student listening to this, this I can't give you any more helpful advice. The worst papers that I read when I read them, I have no idea what the claim is. I don't know what my student wants me to respond to or believe or not believe or act on or not act on. The very best papers clearly state the claim being advanced early in the paper so I know what's at stake. So I know what the writer wants from me as as a reader. Even a really great love letter <laughs> needs to be super clear about what it is you want from your beloved. Um, you know, maybe you want them to be with you forever. Maybe you want them to not be with you forever. Maybe you want to have children with them. Uh, It doesn't matter what you want, but you want something from your reader or else you wouldn't be writing. So the purpose of the piece of writing is demonstrated by the claim, by the invitation to the audience to respond to the key thing, okay? So what's my claim? When I get a piece of writing, um, if I get a job letter, if I get a love letter, if I get an essay from a student, the first thing I'm looking for as a reader and the first thing every reader is looking for is, okay, what does this author want from me? What What am I responding to here? And if you can't control the claim, here's the thing, if you can't control the claim, you can't control the effect. You can't, the effect that you produce is gonna be lost for you as a writer. So oftentimes my students will write an essay and I'll think that the claim is X and that's not what they thought it was. And so they've lost all ability to be an effective writer. They've lost all ability to control the effects they produce in the audience because they had no idea that in their writing, they're implying one claim that they didn't even think was the claim that they were trying to imply. Um, Okay, so what's my claim? Second, what effect have I had? This gets at the kind of emotional, contextual um, component 
to the written interaction. And it highlights the ways in which a written interaction is just like an interpersonal or a small group interaction. So you can write a love letter. It can be a beautiful thing. It can say, oh, you know, you're the, this person is the love of my life. I, they're so wonderful. And you can recite all the ways in which they are terrific and all the ways in which you want to be with them. And that person could actually feel like you're trying to manipulate them. Or you feel like they could feel like you're trying to um, make them feel guilty. So the effect is kind of the emotional and contextual consequences of the written word. And you as a writer also need to be cognizant of the ways in which your writing produces emotional contextual effects on audiences. The way I teach this to my students is that, you know, uh, the first thing I do is uh, we take any word, uh, blue, for example, the color blue, and I ask them, okay, give me 20 synonyms for blue. Let's, let's write down 10, 20 different kinds of blue or throw up. You know, let's write down 15 different ways to describe or that 15 different words that mean throw up. So throw up, regurgitate, upchuck, hurl. Um, I can't think of any of my students are better at this than I am, but they can think of a whole bunch. And then I have each one of them say the word, say one, one of those words, and I ask the audience, okay, what's the emotional effect of, of that word? And, you know, upchuck or hurl has a different effect, emotional effect, than regurgitate. Uh, and then my students do another exercise in which I give them a little card on it, and the card has an emotion on it, happy, sad, uh, excited, dejected, uh, nervous, whatever. And I tell them, okay, you got 10 words to produce that effect in the audience. And they have to write 10 words down. And then they read the 10 words. And then I ask the audience, what do they feel in response? And if the audience guesses the, the emotion on the card, so the writer gets the emotion, the writer gets sadness. Audience doesn't know. Writer writes down 10 words. They read the 10 words aloud. And I ask the, ask the audience, how do you feel? And if the audience is sad, the writer was effective. If the audience is happy, the writer stunk. I have them sit down and say, okay, that was terrible. Try again. Um, the purpose here is to just show that affective circuit that's at work in any communicative interaction, whether it's written or spoken or whatever. Um, and different words will have different effects. And then when you kind of line those up and, and organize them into larger chunks, into sentences and paragraphs and whole pieces of discourse, the whole piece of discourse begins to produce a kind of emotional effect on an audience. Okay, so what's my claim? What effect am I having through these words? And who cares? Uh, the third question the piece of writing needs to answer is, who the heck should care enough to write this, to read this thing that you've just handed them? Um, what's the significance of the claim and the effect? Why does the claim and effect matter to me as an audience member? This question, like the first question, allows us to show, or, or at least forces us to think about the ways in which I'm not writing just to codify or capture information and transmit information, but I'm writing for someone else to read. And I must, in that situation, account for the, the purpose of the writing so that the person doing the reading knows why they are reading it, knows what's at stake when they're reading it. Uh, so oftentimes I um, get asked to evaluate essays for academic uh, journals, so academic essay writing, and 90% um, of the academic essays I get, I read them, I know what the claim is, I know what effect they produce, but at the end of the day, I don't know why I should care. 
So I'm always writing like, I just don't know why this matters. Like, who cares? So somebody can be writing about, you know, 19th century American political oratory. And it can be a lovely set of claims about 19th century political oratory. I could be impressed with the writing. It could be erudite and interesting. But at the end of the day, I could say, well, why the hell should I care about 19th century political oratory? What's at stake here? Why does this matter? And in those cases, the author forgot that third question and forgot that the audience was going to be reading with their own self-interest in mind. So the, the why should I care question allows agency for the audience member because everyone reads just like in an interpersonal, communi in interpersonal communication or small group communication, everyone has self-interest. You know, we, we want things for ourselves. And when I'm reading something, I want to know, you know, why the thing that I'm reading matters to me. Um, so those are the three questions any piece of writing needs to, to answer. And any, like, love letter, like I said, business letter, doesn't matter. What's my claim? What effect have I had? Who cares? If you've written something and it's not clear what those three things are, the writing stinks. It's not going to be any good. It's not going to be any good because you will not be able to control the effect on the reading audience, period. End of story. If we told that to all undergraduates at the beginning of their university career, all of them would write better. We'd get better essays across the board. And I, I tell that to my students, you know, anything you hand in in a class, if you don't know exactly what the claim is, what effect you're having, and why someone should care about reading it, then you're not probably not going to get an A. Maybe you could, but probably not. Um, okay, now, second step. If you can answer those three questions, the writing also has to have or be driven by two values. One is the value of clarity and precision. Second is the, what I call the value of beauty and eloquence. The value of clarity and precision has to do um, with the fact that writing can easily be interpreted in multiple ways and words have both denotative, connotative, and all sorts of meanings that can get associated with them. So uh, what you need to choose in your writing and how you need to structure your writing is that you need to choose words that precisely mean the things that you intend them to mean, that clearly articulate the claim and what's at stake with the claim, and then are, are structurally organized in some way that have a sense of beauty or eloquence to them. Why? Why are these two values so important? Um, my undergraduate teacher used to tell me, or my undergraduate history professor, who was also my advisor, um, great, 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 great advisor, great teacher. Uh, he Every time he handed a paper or we'd have to write a paper in class, he'd remind us, clarity is everything. He'd say, clarity is everything, clarity is everything, clarity is everything. Um, the audience, can't respond to, or remember, claim is an invitation to response. If the audience doesn't know what the claim is or is confused about the claim or the claim is unclear, then the audience response is unclear and there's gonna be miscommunication. But here's an example. I had a student many years ago, they had to write position papers. And this was at the time when um, there was a case where in uh, Amsterdam and Holland, uh, a cartoonist had drawn a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad and it caused a bunch of controversy. The, the cartoonist, I think, was killed or, or harmed in some way by uh, terrorism. And I had a Muslim student wrote an essay about this. And he wrote over and over again in the essay that the Muslim world was unsalted by the comic. U-N-S-A-L-T-E-D. And so next to the word unsalted, I wrote, 
as opposed to lightly salted or with no salt or with salt and pepper. Um, the student meant insulted. He meant insulted, but unsalted is a word. It's an imprecise word because that word doesn't exactly mean the thing that he intended. And as soon as you have imprecision, you have a lack of clarity, you have confusion, the audience can make up all sorts of different things from what you intended, which is what I did with his essay, and you have all sorts of writing problems. Now, issues of, of, of clarity and precision are not that bright and bold sometimes. Sometimes it's as simple, or sometimes it's much more subtle than that. So um, sometimes I ask my students what the difference is between two words for the color blue that might seem really, really simple, uh, like aqua blue and sea blue. And I ask them what the difference is. And sometimes they're not even sure. And I remind them that the first lesson of the sophists used to teach uh, students, uh, sophists were early teachers of communication and the first paid teachers in the history of the Western world actually. And one of the first lessons they taught was on what was called on the correctness of names, where a student had to make a fine distinction between two close synonyms. And the reason the student made this is that it got them some facility with precisely choosing the right word when the occasion came and asked them to choose the precise word. So uh, I always tell my students too that, um, you know, the, the person most likely to succeed is the person with the largest vocabulary. Why is that? Because a person with a large vocabulary has an ability to make fine distinctions between synonyms and choose precisely the exact word in either written or, or spoken communication that will help manage the clarity of their message. And that, that's true. And once they see that, then um, they have this ability to make finer distinctions and their writing gets clearer. Um, beauty and eloquence is then how you take that, that clear claim, those precise language, and how you shape them into something. And we're going to talk in a couple of episodes about the structure of sentences, the structure of paragraphs, the structure of whole pieces of discourse, the structure of poems. Those things are structured in a certain way to give the writing a feel and a sound, often a feel and a sound of beauty or, or eloquence, because that shape or that feel, that sound is impactful. It carries emotion with it. It, it is able to produce the kinds of effects that you want on audiences. So the ancient teachers of rhetoric also taught their students that, you know, for example, a longer sentence, a sentence that's got commas and clauses in it, that's stretched out with longer words, has a slower sound to it, and that slower sound is able to convey sadness. So if you want someone to feel sad at what you have written, you might choose structures of sentences and paragraphs with longer uh, phrases and longer words. If you want someone to feel urgency, you use shorter sentences, shorter, um, shorter little structured patterns, because it quickens the pace. It it excites the audience. Um, it gives them a sense of urgency, um, and that is managed not just through the the word, the precise word choice, but also through the structure of the sentence. So the eloquence of the writing or the beauty of the writing can be very productive of effects on audiences. Um, okay, so we've already gone on for almost 24 minutes now about the basics of writing, but so let's just review for a second and then we'll get more specific in the next few episodes. Effective writing is about managing, it's about remembering that communication is about producing effects, not transmitting information. So it's about managing the effect you produce on a reading audience. Good writing or managing that effects involves asking and answering, being able to answer three questions about your writing. What effect, uh, what, what's my claim? What effect have I had? 
who cares? And good effective writing is governed by the values of clarity and precision on one hand and beauty and eloquence on the other. So our job in the next few uh, episodes of the podcast, we have to talk about how to master writing that's clear and precise, how to master writing that's beautiful and eloquent, and how to effectively answer those three questions. What's my claim? What effect have I had? And who cares? In the course of any kind of written document. At least that's the approach I'm going to take. Okay, so that's it for this episode. Um, we'll continue on with the, the writing for the next few episodes. And I hope to, to, to see everyone again next week. Thanks.